Welcome back to Corona Cartoons. I'm adamantly trying to make sure that my intro is different every week, and this is by far the most different. Uh, with me this week, my wife again, Miss Chewy Darso. Hello. Uh, she is on this week because she's never seen this movie, and I'm like, that's it's got to be rectified. Uh, and then after having so much fun with him last week talking Batman, we have Mr. Ben Kirsten back to talk about this one. Hey guys, always to talk. Always happy to talk about Batman more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who isn't excited to talk Batman? Uh, ben Affleck. I don't know the Marvel Bros. <laughs> ben Affleck, Marvel Bros. Both solid answers. Um, <laughs> I think Ben Affleck the most. I mean, yeah, probably. that's fair. <laughs> Marvel Bros will like to bitch about Ben Affleck as Batman. They just like to bring up the Martha Martha thing as much as they can. Um, and to be fair, we did give them a lot of good ammunition with that. So you know what? It's just going to go down as a moment in pulp culture that sticks with you. It, oh, it sticks with you. Uh, but well, do I laugh at on your left as much as I laugh at Martha? No. I think Martha's funnier. No, that's fair. So, so I still got one up on them. <laughs> um, so when we were talking last week about the animated series, uh, this movie happened to come up quite a bit. This uh, strange little thing that nobody ever fucking saw unless you were a boy um, and had really cool parents, which, I mean, my parents were awesome. They weren't cool enough to take me to the theater for this one. But fucking nobody saw this thing. Mask of the Phantasm. I... The lowest grossing Batman film ever. Fucking ever. And I can make that declarative statement because nothing will ever gross less than this. Um, How many theaters did it come out in? I don't, it was a real last minute thing. Like, clearly this was not meant for theaters. And then like, oh, never mind, it is. And whoops. But uh, yeah, some of us saw it. I saw it in video. And then I never saw it again until this, which is strange. 1,506 theaters. That's not a lot. And it was also yeah, 93, so... Uh, ben, did you see this in theaters? I did not. I saw it when it came to uh, to video cassette, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, my mom rented it for me at Blockbuster, I think. Or maybe it was Hogan's video at the time, if for all of you QC kids out there. Um, Might have been Hogan's. But either way, yeah, she rented it for me once. I watched it once, said that's my favorite Batman movie ever. And then never watched it again until I was 34. Hmm. But I still remember loving it the whole time, but you know, watching it with Chewy uh, last night made me go, oh, wow, yeah, I don't remember fucking any of this. <laughs> uh, and Chewy, you'd just never seen it before, right? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. Because when Andrea came on screen, I was just like, who's she? And all I remembered <laughs> vaguely was like, oh, yeah, she's the one behind the mask. Yeah. I don't remember why she well, wore the mask. I was able to figure that out. Yeah, but you also guessed wrong the first time, though. Like, well, of course, like everyone. but it was misleading yeah, me. It was intentionally. And then I started to get that feeling. Yeah. Um, that was the only thing I remembered was that she was behind the mask. And that says a lot for the upcoming Batman Catwoman series. Bum, bum, bum. It does? It does. I don't know. She's in it, and it's all about the love life of Batman and Catwoman. Oh. So what's she doing there? <laughs> Who knows? Only Tom King can tell us, and you'll decide whether or not you continue to hate him like the rest of the comic book fans in the world. Well, as long as he doesn't go for the cheap jealousy routine. That's not usually his style. But, yeah. but then again, Heroes in Crisis. That's all I have to say for make people go, yeah, but fuck Tom King. Um, it's a real bad storyline. I know. You told me about it. Real bad. Real bad. Eh, I've heard worse. So have I. I actually didn't mind most of Tom King's run, but I really did not like Heroes in Crisis. Ben, did you read it? 
Uh, no, I stopped buying comic books over 10 years ago. Aww. I uh, you know, money. and yeah. um, <laughs> money is the thing. We didn't start buying comic books again until you got more money. Yeah, until I got my job at, near the end of my job at Dr. Phil yeah. is when I started buying comics again. And then we had a child, yeah. so you had to back that off. Yeah. And I still buy a lot, but man, I buy a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> you were going a little nuts. I like comics. Yeah. Almost everything I own or wear has something comic book related on it. Even right now. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, there were just so many titles to buy. Um, and there were so many that I was following that, yeah, every Wednesday I'd put down, you know, 20, 30 bucks, whatever it was. And that built up fast, especially working as a freelancer. Yeah. And so there was a couple storylines that I'd been following, a couple titles I'd been buying that just had really lost their shine and I was still buying them. And I was like, I just, I got to stop doing this. And so I cut out a few and then a few more. And before I knew it, there was no more that I was buying. And I was like, I'm okay with this. I have enough. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we're going to be talking about Mask of the Phantasm, as I mentioned before, a movie from the nineties. It came out, it got a really weird credit song in there trying to get an Academy Award. Didn't work out too well for it. Um, But the long and the short of it is that this is a Batman, a Batman movie that's pretty much standalone ish. Um, has the Joker in it, has a bunch of other people in it, and uh, has a standalone villain that has really never been seen anywhere but this movie. And I'm going to take issue with her being called a villain. She's... No, she's a villain. Mm. She's a villain. Mm. She's a villain. Mm. Why is she not a villain? Let's just dive into it. I was going to do a bit more of a breakdown, but fuck it. Here we are. Mass of the Phantasm. Why is the Phantasm not a villain? I don't know. <laughs> Let's start with how Batman gets real preachy about what he does is cool, but what she does is not. I just love that your first answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I was being sarcastic when I said, I don't know. I just remember when we got to that part of the movie when he's like, you can't live your life based on vengeance. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, pot, meat kettle. Excuse me. Well, I mean, so Batman is not a standard or a moral to live by anyway. Batman is often wrong about the way he comes at anything. And so, like, him preaching to anyone is is wrong. incorrect to begin with. Yeah, so maybe he should just lay off a little. But that doesn't change the fact that she's a villain. She's only yeah. a villain be- in certain eyes. She murders people! She murder murdering people who murdered her father. She was sticking to a plan. She Yes, she was killing people. But she was the same level of vigilante as many other vigilantes... There's lots of vigilantes that kill people, yet people still call them heroes. Uh, this is such a difficult thing. Um, I mean, whenever Batman has worked with someone that kills, like Huntress, or for a while I think Azrael was killing, they they really come head to head. That doesn't mean he's gonna stop them in the same way he would stop like the Joker or the Riddler or something. But yeah. um, it's still. Puts them at odds, and Batman sure. thinks that he's right, and he thinks that they're wrong. Yep. Would he have like tried to arrest her? I don't think so. But um, but do you classify right, so, Huntress or Azrael as villains? No, I I guess you're right on that. She's not a <laughs> villain, but but she is an antagonist. She is an antagonist. I will say yeah. I will agree to that. But calling her a villain, I think, does her a disservice. You're well, right. And I also and think, to, to help further your point, if she was the villain, there'd be no need for the Joker in the movie. Yeah. 
That doesn't mean he wouldn't or wouldn't be there, but you wouldn't yeah. need him quite like Just you do. Just because Batman doesn't like what you're doing doesn't mean you're a villain. He doesn't like a lot of people things doing. He doesn't like it when freaking Robins go out without him or he... He's I'm, fine with Robins going out without him. Is he? All yeah. the time? He well, is. Robin he goes is. out all the time. You can't keep Damian Wayne down. Okay. <laughs> Was he always cool with Nightwing doing whatever he's doing? No, he's not always cool with Nightwing. Yeah. He's he not really doesn't like the Red Hood. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So, Chewie won me over. You're right. She's not a villain. Yep. Okay. Um, But she she's texture in his world that there there is no black and white, that there are shades of gray. There that's, are. That's yeah. fair. And sometimes Batman wears a lot of gray. Not in this one. Not in this one. No. Well, no, he does. Yeah. Never mind. Under his cloak, Some. his thing is gray. Oh, yeah, when he's running away after he yeah. takes off his coat. He just co- looks like he's in his jammies. <laughs> he looks like he's in his jammies. He looks like our two-year-old son. like, it's bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I think those are called spanks. <laughs> I mean, when you take the cloak and cowl off him, like you said, while we were watching it, it was like, he's not so intimidating. <laughs> and I love that this is in the movie where there's an entire backstory of like the kind of the year zero thing or year one or whatever we're calling it. Um, where he's like trying to fight people and he's got this like, I mean, I beat them, but I need to strike fear in their hearts at the same time. And then like two minutes later, he's running around in his jammies. (laughs) (laughs) But it works. So, you know, it does work. Argue with the results. But it is also like, and joking aside, when they reveal like the first time Alfred saw him in the cape and cowl and he has that moment like, (gasps) like it's effective. But without the cape and cowl, significantly less effective. <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, all right, so what is he afraid of? Is Alfred afraid of the cape and cowl? Or is he afraid of his mental state? Little uh, A, little B, but I'd say primarily like the cape and cowl. How am I going to encourage this? <laughs> well, so there's no turning I back think... now. Man's wearing a bat suit. <laughs> I think the answer is somewhere in between in all, like, in seriousness. It's watching the child that he raised become a monster. Because, yeah, kind I mean, of. You, you described earlier uh, uh, Batman as a vigilante, and vigilantes are not things to want to be. And that, like, someone who wishes to strike fear in the hearts of other people, whether they be good people or bad people, is is a scary thing to behold. And I, th- I think that scene works so well in really um, making that case that, that this is not uh, positive that just happened to Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a very, like, the scene itself is very powerful and very well executed, like the majority of this movie. But the, the thing that that scene and a few other ones really drive home and kind of where I, I want to move into this thing is for an animated feature about Batman, I mean... Since this one's come out in theaters, the only other one we've had is Lego Batman, correct? Oh, in terms animated. of animated, yeah, no, the other ones that they made based on the series uh, did not come out in theaters. Right. So, if unless you're specifically seeking these animated Batman movies out, you might not be ready for animated Batman that takes itself this seriously. Like this movie doesn't pull punches. It's violent. It's far more violent than the cartoon. Um, that one dead body that they show uh, is fucking grotesque uh it's a rough film like and if you were to say rent this for your kid like many of our parents did it's rough oh yeah the violence i noticed immediately the violence in this movie is much more than the tv show yeah they don't pull away like they did in the tv show they don't underscore it with a 
jab or humor or whatnot, or yeah. a film noir to make it like mysterious. Did they actually die? Yeah. No, no, people are dying in this movie. Yeah. And Ben, you went a little into this last week. Do you want to reiterate in case people didn't listen why that was uh, so different for the movie versus the show? Yeah, I mean, well, one, as a movie and the fact that you can't just have a kid like turn on a TV to watch it, they they knew they could get away with more. Um, but yeah, they the writers begged to let them show uh, the Joker kill just one person uh, in the movie. And so... They let them. They let them do it, and they found the most like grotesque way, as you said, to uh, to to let that happen. Where you know you see in Shadow the Joker attack people, and he uh, for I think yeah, Sal Valestra, he, he sort of hugs him and says like, "Don't worry, buddy, we'll get him." Uh, and then yeah, you see his um, sort of twisted, mangled corpse with a, a bomb in his chest, um, in an attempt to to kill. Well, it was the phantasm, but he ends up uh, nearly killing Batman. Yeah, it's just a it's a super creepy scene that's done very well. And yeah. for uh, anybody who's still listening to this who is a fan of Venture Bros, he looks a lot like the guy who's in charge of the Busy Bee, um, mm. the guy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. No, um, I totally remember yeah. that. He looked exactly like him, kind of weirded me out. Um, but it is just kind of this rough scene, and it kind of makes me go... I mean, everybody loves Mark Hamill as a Joker, or he wouldn't still be doing the voice for some of the animated movies every now and then, or the video games when he did that. Uh, everybody loves him as that. But since I had totally forgotten in the majority of this movie, beyond the giveaway that um, Andrea was the Phantasm, I forgot how good Mark Hamill was as the Joker in this movie. Like, this is, like, showcase-worthy stuff. Like, this is... A- at least in my opinion, I've been watching a lot of the Batman animated series since we watched since we recorded the episode last week. Uh for me, by far, one of his best performances. Like, I'm not sure what yeah. other one I would compare. I'd say it's hard for me to so, compare one against the other because, sure. for me, I'm like, it's always good. It's yeah. always great. <laughs> I think the difference in the movie Joker that you see in Mask of the Phantom compared to the show is that they sort of wipe away a lot of the fluff. That even in any of the lines that he gives in the movie are just is just filled with dread um, and malice. And so uh, they, they push things into a, into a weird direction that you didn't see in the show where he's, he pinches you know, the face of the robot with the knife and uh, says, you know, are you, do you, are you feeling the old electricity tonight? Like, does he have sex with that robot? <laughs> um, and then he comes in and he, he kicks the dog and uh, Sal Valestra grabs his shirt and he, he the, the background goes red and it's it's not it's the same fun loving Joker as the show but with a danger that you don't you don't see in the show which really pushed it into uh, new grounds uh, with with what the show was trying to do that the movie could get away with um, and I think it's it's interesting uh, you said that you know you didn't really remember much about this movie uh i saw it when i was eight yeah 1993 and i remember every single thing about it until i saw it again when i was 17 or 18 like 10 years i could have told you every single plot point of the movie i could have described shots like this thing stuck with me and you know i've watched it i don't know a dozen times since it's funny to me in the way that you talk about how it stuck with you uh 
to be a little crass, one of my friends commented to me about how it's the first time he got a boner yeah, watching a this movie. And obviously it's stuck with him as well. <laughs> uh, and I've just been thinking about when during this movie would you get a boner? I don't like the, at the idea of a woman being a vigilante or a villain. Uh, no, because you got Catwoman and Poison Ivy there. Yeah. Or Harley Quinn. I don't know if he was just exaggerating. I think he was exaggerating. I hope he was exaggerating. But I was just trying to think of when... Because Andrea is a good female character. I enjoy yeah. her. Uh, and she's I'm also sure... the... Uh, I mean, just totally... Not to interrupt, but she's the first character, at least that I can remember, who just very clearly went, Oh, a guy in a bat suit. That's Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... I mean, granted, it wasn't the, his parents' grave. But either way, she put it together as quick as a normal human should. And I would just argue that this is the first film that a young boy in the early 90s would see that had a woman with all of her own agency. Like when she goes to Wayne Manor and he's like, hey, you didn't call me. Yeah. Well, so I'm coming to you. Like, <laughs> how often did that happen? Fucking Bruce doing that entire scene is like, yeah, I'm doing what? What's, what's uh, karate's doing? Jiu-jitsu. 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 Just, she's trying to like flirt with him. He's just like off in the field. Just, yeah. I really enjoyed her character. She was very, she's a go-getter. <laughs> yeah, she's a really very... interesting character. I like her story, but I, I, the, the reason why I love Andrea in this movie is the character design of the phantasm. Yeah. I love that character design. Like is like the character in the mask, the phantasm and Andrea stuck with me the way the whole movie did for Ben. Cause like, she, she's like a co- weird combination of captain hook and the grim reaper. Okay. That's yeah. what I get out of it. For sure. Because she is the same, like, Grim Reaper thing with the face, the cow, the appearing out of smoke saying, it is your time, or I don't remember exactly what she said. But then she's got this hook hand thing. Yeah. Instead of a sigh. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a second ago that um, they were very economical with Andrea. That, like, you said, you know, the agency for her to go over there, that the movie's only 75 minutes. They don't have a ton of time to work with. They did a great job of showing that uh, she's an equal to Bruce. Um, and that if there's anything that's going to take him away from his current mission, uh, it's someone who is equally as sharp and uh, strong-willed as him and a good, a good enough match for him. And that this is a really... This is my favorite type of retconning in that... Uh, at age 10, Bruce saw his parents die. And from then on, he knew he was going to be Batman. And he, he strove towards that. Uh, and nothing got in his way. Uh, and that's really great for like a kid to be like, yeah, when you want to do something, you just turn around and do it. Um, but then as you get older, you sort of realize that there are those shades of gray. And that there must have been something at some point that um, made him question if this was the right choice. And this movie is filled with so much despair over him trying to figure that out. Um, and so, like, usually when, you know, you take a story and you go back and look at it from another angle and they add in some more details, I'm disappointed that they're trying to change the story. Where they, when they change this version of Batman's, uh, uh, how he became Batman, it only makes it so much better. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that. Like, uh it's like the opposite of like the solo movie. Like how did Han Solo become Han Solo? Oh, well that was a horrible story. Or is this uh, one... 
Still spurned by a woman. <laughs> You're <there>. Fair. <laughs> Not entirely different. She still also became evil. Sure, but did Solo make you enjoy Star Wars anymore? No, not really. Okay, so this is better than Solo. <laughs> I was actually quite annoyed that Han Solo's motivation was a lady. Yeah, whereas for Batman, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but speaking a little bit about Batman in this, uh, and something that I love so much about this movie and that I'd forgotten about uh, until Ben, I think it was Ben, it was Ben or Adam made a joke about it last week. Uh, with that scene where uh, Alfred is like, so when you're done with that, though, you're going to go see her, right? He's like, you don't know me! <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, put your diaper on. Yes, I did. Do. Um, but this movie shows Batman at his most, like, I want to say vulnerable, but I'm not sure if vulnerable is the right word. It's like his most adolescent as an adult. There's nothing like love to make you dumb. But that's what it it, it does make him act more like a child and that's yeah. saying something emotional yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this this version of bruce wayne is is multiple parts uh, arrested development he's stuck in crime alley where his parents died he's stuck at every hurt that he had and so like andrea was 10 years ago but he sees her and he's immediately brought back to that and he makes mistakes in this movie um, mistakes in in not seeing the villains that are right in front of him. Mistakes in I, I'm not gonna say trusting her, but like whenever it, you know what it makes me think of uh, Bucky is alive. That like when she shows up, he starts to make mistakes mm. um, because she's a, a sore spot for him. And so it's the the joke is that like who could beat Batman? And the answer is always no one can because Batman's always. 10 steps ahead and like i'm okay with that interpretation of batman but i like a batman that is has their weaknesses and that's this is a movie where batman's weaknesses are coming at him from all angles and also a movie where batman loses he loses in the end of this like he doesn't get the girl she kills everyone she wants to except the joker and then she leaves and he's not going to go after her because that's that's not what he's going to do. And so it's this interesting, uh, very long episode of the show where all the other episodes he wins in one way or another. And then this one, he loses. It's it's like his greatest failure in terms of the, the animated series. Oh, yeah. As far as the animated series goes, this is definitely his biggest loss. Um, but just to touch on it really quickly, I've never been clear on this. What happened to the Joker at the end? I've, he got away. We just don't see it because he always does. Yeah, so I read that there is a small comic that came out with the movie shows that uh, they f- uh, go down into the sewer and he gets the better of Andrea and runs away uh, as the explosions happen and then she leaves town. Got it. Because that scene where she has him and like all the smoke is like swirling around him and he's just cackling, it's like, that's fucking haunting, man. <laughs> I want to know where she got that technology. She just got uh, to beam herself out. With speed Force. Speed Force. <laughs> speed force. Uh, that scene uh, at eight years old gave me chills. It still does now. Um, and, you know, it, it, last week we talked about Heath Ledger. We talked about Jack Nicholson a little bit. I think you said there was another Joker. I don't remember his name. 
It's Jared Leto. Jared Leto's yeah, his name. That's right. That's right. Jared <laughs> Leto. Clearly Jared Leto. Um, and and they've all done something that they character that's really interesting. But if even gonna... Jared Leto. Yeah, sure. Gave why him not? Gold teeth. <laughs> he gave him gold teeth and tattooed hands. And tattooed face. Don't and forget the face. Remember, he's but... damaged. Oh god. <laughs> The worst design. It's very important to know that he's damaged. <laughs> oh god! So, design. <laughs> so I want to give a lot of credit, obviously, to Heath Ledger for a couple moments in The Dark Knight that are iconically Joker, and one of them would be when he gets thrown off the building by Batman, and he's just laughing to his death. And it's really hard for me to give the credit 100 percent to Heath Ledger because I already saw Mark Hamill do that as an entire pier of uh, TNT is going to blow up underneath him and he's being held by Andrea and he starts cackling like that as like the fire is about to consume them. And like, if you're going to boil down the Joker to like a single 10 seconds, that's it right there. It is like the, it's the best I've ever seen the Joker outside of that, you, the other scene you mentioned, like the, those are my two favorite Joker moments. Now, oh, maybe not favorite Joker moments, but at least they're fucking high up there. They are just perfect. Right. If you want to understand the Joker, those are the two moments: laughing in the face of his own death, um, and I mean, yeah, the just that he's laughing at his own death because nothing matters to him, um, and that's. Uh, in terms of especially a children's movie, something to behold. The, the interesting thing to me for the Joker in this movie, I think it's the only thing with the Joker that I've ever seen where he's just alone. Yeah, he doesn't have any goons. Harley's not in it. Yeah, he's just hanging out in this empty wasteland of a World's Fair by himself. Yeah, even like some of the most like quintessential Joker stories, he still has henchmen. Like you go, like it's not my favorite of his, but like you go to uh, like Death of the Fam- or Death in the Family, or he's still got goons before he mm-hmm. <laughs> he starts becoming. I think it's the Iraq ambassador or something like that. It's a weird story that everyone yeah. kind of forgets that he becomes like a political figure in, um, oh, but like that gosh. one or not blanking on a whole bunch of Joker stories. But he usually has somebody in tow, and this one it is just him. But it's also him and the goons he used to work with that she's trying to take out. Right. Yeah, but they don't hang out anymore. The whole no. point is that they are, they are not in contact. And yeah. it's a big deal at this one that Salvatore would go to the Joker for help. And Salvatore looked horrified like to do it. He did not like doing it. No, yeah. this was a, a do or die situation. He died anyways. <laughs> yeah, the, the, other time I, the other two times I can think of the Joker alone is in... Um, uh, the was it the Dark Knight Returns, where he's catatonic. Um, yeah, and then the other one, and it's I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, uh, No Man's Land the novel. Uh, when they release everyone from Arkham right before they like blow up all the tunnels and the bridges to leave Gotham City, uh, he comes walking out of it. Um, and then someone tells him that like Batman hasn't been seen in months and he sits down on the front steps of Arkham and he waits for months while uh, Batman is like off actually Bruce Wayne is off getting drunk and partying like in other countries because he's so depressed that uh, Gotham has fallen apart and you know become no man's land 
Um, and that in the book, it's described that like Harley brings him blankets and brings him food, but he's too sad to like leave. So he just sits there waiting. Oh, he's like the dog from Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's exactly like the, the dog from Futurama. <laughs> and it's, it's funny you mention that because what I was going to say is that the Joker is never more dangerous than when he's alone like that. And so, like, seeing him by himself with no thugs, no people working for him at the abandoned, you know, world of the future, I feel gives him more, something more to be afraid of, that he is alone. He seems more maniacal. Yeah. Yeah. Most most of the time, being alone drives you crazy for most people. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say that the Joker, uh, and we talked about it, the other week in the episode uh joker's favor where he makes a joke and then he makes everyone like clap for him and for someone who like the joker requires an audience and wants to be funny to be sitting alone out there um with no audience to like pump up his ego um yeah i think just somehow visually makes him more terrifying no, I, I totally agree. And I think like the, the filmmakers were absolutely right to keep him that way. Because it does make him just that itty bitty bit more scary. Because the only other time that the only storyline that I can think of where he was alone is one of my favorite Joker stories ever, and that's Death of the Family, not in the family. Um, and that was the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo story where Joker didn't have a face and his face had been ripped off and then he turned it into a mask right. over his faceless head and it was like this was Joker at his most dangerous. Because he went, Batman is being watered down because he has too many people around him. He needs to be alone like me. That's that whole story. Is like, no, 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 let, let's, let's get rid of the side characters. No more supporting cast. This is mano a mano. And it was a great storyline. And it was all because Joker was on his own. Harley and him had been broken up for years at that point. He didn't have any goons. He was just on his own with his own face strapped to his head trying to fuck with Batman. And it was great. Hmm. And, like, that same level maniacal Batman, or Joker, reminded me of the Joker in this one. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you are horrifying. He just didn't look quite as horrifying as he did without a face. Of course not. I love yeah, that that's design. that's pretty terrifying. So every time you tell me about that storyline, it's probably one of the reasons why I haven't read it, is it makes me think of Paris Hilton in uh, Repo Opera, <laughs> the genetic opera. It's better than Repo the Genetic Opera. I'm sure it is. But I, every time I think of a person dancing around with their face falling off, I think about Paris Hilton. That just really stuck with me. Ugh. That's like the worst example. I'm sorry. Although Giles does have a pretty good voice. He does. Um, so what have we missed in this? I'm sure there's plenty that we've missed. Because there's... Like, the, words. Ben mentioned earlier that this movie's only 79 minutes long. Is that right? 79? Mm-hmm. 70, yeah, 75 or 80 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's short. But it doesn't, like, and I don't mean this as a negative way at all, it doesn't feel short. Like, it's packed to the gills with content and, like, stuff to chew on, um, even though it just happens in a real quick amount of time. Did it affect the TV show? Because no. they don't resolve the fact that in this movie, the cops are after Batman again because they believe that he's committing these murders. So he has that one scene when he gets away from them because Andrea picks him up in her very easy-to-follow car. When he's running away in his pajamas? Yes. Uh, but then they never get back to that. So that makes me... Then I was just curious if like, it was there a part in the TV series when the cops are after him again. Not that I remember, Ben. No. 
Yeah, not that I recall. I know they wanted to make the movie to bridge the two seasons together. Um, and that we talked about last week, the show was really good at continuity. Um, this is, I think, maybe the weak point in that they forget by the time the second season starts that Batman is wanted for murder. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they almost forget about it at the end of this movie, too. Yeah, I mean, but I'm willing to forgive it because oh, yeah. the whole time that they're like, Batman's a murderer, and it's that one guy who's really, like the congressman or uh, senator, councilman. councilman is the one who's really pushing that agenda, and then he dies, right? He dies? No, he just no, kind of goes on the Joker madness. And it doesn't, oh, look, right, 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 yeah, it doesn't but, look like he's going to get out of it. Yeah, he, he gets he gets taken out. Yeah. So without him being the driving force anymore, and he has Gordon, who's always like, Batman didn't do this. Clearly, this isn't what Batman does. Yeah. So without the guy driving it anymore, and he has somebody on his side in the police force, I'm willing to forgive that, like, okay, well... They just let it go. They let it go. Yeah. By the time season two starts, they're like, ah, fuck it. It's Batman. Yeah. He probably didn't do it. Gordon's <laughs> probably right. <laughs> Maybe we should stop shooting at him and then, you know, blindly shooting into construction sites how, yeah. and hitting methane tanks. How, how much collateral damage do we do trying to catch Batman? Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> That's not worth it. Just, just let him be Batman. Yeah, I mean, my guess would be, you know, Gordon said, if you want to get Batman, I want nothing to do with it. That at some point, because the story only takes place over like three days, four days, that Batman would have went to Gordon and said... It was this other person, uh, you know, we can figure this out. And that he would sort of make sure they pull back. Because he's still the chief of police at that point. Yeah. Or commissioner. I can even see Batman going like, hey, it was this person. It was Andrea, I forget her last name. This is her. No. Andrea Beaumont. Good luck catching her. But I could see him even doing that. Batman doesn't turn in his love interests. That's fair. If he loves you, he should. Maybe he should. Yeah. Um, or a Catwoman would be in jail. Oh, yes. Permanently. <laughs> he does not turn in his love interest. Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, it's a good example of, like, Batman's, like, lifestyle and, and moral code is not one to live by because he picks and chooses who he believes are guilty enough to have to go to prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you mentioned the councilman. Uh, I think this is the first example in the show I'll have to watch a lot more that they use a politician as a bad guy where in a lot of the episodes it'll be like a contemporary of Bruce Wayne who um you know runs some other company who's bad uh you know and talking about feet of clay um one of the bad guys is uh is a guy who runs the company that they uh they make the stuff that turns clayface into clayface um and that it's really interesting in a show and then also in the movie that the bad guys aren't just like a guy dressed as a scarecrow or yeah, a woman who's dressed as a cat that it's like the heads of industry and now a politician. And so like, you know, in mentioning that this is a show that, or a a film that like, I remember everything about, you know, years later, uh, I wonder if it's colored my ideas about like capitalism and about democracy that like with enough money and power, like people do terrible things. Yeah. Well, unless you're Batman, then you do wonderful things. Eh. <laughs> I mean, he could do Batman, better. I would never say that everything he does is wonderful. I feel like you would not want to live in... Like, if Gotham wasn't the hellhole, like, I'm going to get shot every day, even if it was just like a nice city that had Batman, I feel like you'd be... I'm not living in the city where Batman works. I feel like I'd have a hard time in the DC Universe, period. <laughs> I'd be like, can I find a town that doesn't need a superhero? Um, I no. mean... 
I think that goes <laughs> for any comics, right? Like, I'm thinking about uh, uh, the Winter Soldier. Like, if you lived in D.C. and you saw those three hella carriers taking off, wouldn't you be like, hey, it's probably time to move to, like, Nebraska? i was just gonna think like just living in the marvel universe who would want to live in new york yeah dr strange spider-man fantastic four like uh, i'm out by the way side note brian and i just bought a puzzle that's supposed to be metropolis and it is designed exactly like manhattan but everyone always talks about how gotham is supposed to be manhattan so that's silly they can't both be manhattan so everyone's kind of wrong on this. They based so Gotham in terms of where it's located is closer to New York, but the uh, the architecture is supposed to be Chicago. And so That's you know, I've, people, I've gotten into arguments, like screaming arguments with people in the past, where like, "No, Gotham's New York." I'm like, ah, "It's Chicago." It's Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird amalgamation of both. Uh, and whenever people want to argue that, like, it is definitely a stand-in for New York, it's like, just let them say that. And you know, <laughs> the, they'll have to answer at the pearly gates for the things that they've done. <laughs> no, the people that have to answer for the pearly gates for things they've done are people that helped to make Le- X-Men Last Stand. Oh, yeah. Mm. They've wronged us. So, uh, I, uh, I don't actually dislike that one that much. We're all entitled to our opinions. I like Batman vs. Superman, and I say that as a Batman fan, which is apparently blasphemy, as I've been told from any other Batman fan. So, we all like what we like. Yeah, I mean, um, we all have our guilty pleasures. Yep. <laughs> all right, well, we don't really usually do this on this show. This is more for behind the hype, but since it's a movie and it still feels right, I want to say, uh, to wrap things up here, uh, what's our favorite part of this movie? Like, if you were to be like, hey, man, you should watch Mass of the Phantasm, this happens in it. What would that be? Oh man! Girl beats up Batman in his front lawn. That's fair. You'd be a big fan of Greg Rucka riding Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Does she beat up Batman? In his she front does lawn? beat not on his front lawn, but she does beat up Batman. I like that she does it in his front lawn. It's one of these things where, like, just really briefly going into it, somebody invokes like a, a vow for Wonder Woman, and Batman's like, "I need that information." She's like, "It's a vow, dude." She's like, "No, nah, I need that information." Don't make me fight you, Diana. And she's like, don't bother, Batman. <laughs> he's like, I'll fight you. She's like, all right, bring it. And she kicks the shit out of him. Good. <laughs> it's a very good moment. That's where that famous cover of Wonder Woman's boot on Batman's face comes from, if you've mm. ever seen that. Um, ben, what about you? What's your uh, favorite thing to try to sell somebody on Mask of the Phantasm? I mean, in all honesty, I'm just probably going to blather on for like 10 minutes right now. Um, <laughs> before the Dark Knight came out, I'll say this. Before the Dark Knight came out and people asked, what's your favorite Batman movie? I would say Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, And 95% of people would say, I've never heard of it. And I'd say, you should really check it out. And this is, I I guess, a couple years after I would have rewatched it. because, And this is after the Batman Begins came out, um, which I enjoyed. It's a great movie. It's not the Dark Knight and it's not Mask of the Phantasm. But... um, you know, there, there are some amazing lines in this film that had no business being in a children's film. You know, vengeance blackens the soul. Uh, Bruce, on his knees, begging a two-ton granite headstone um, to please let me not do this. Um, 
That is horrifying and so it sad. Um, Ooh, him saying, I just want to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the things he says is, um, I didn't count on being happy. Uh, that is the line, better line. Yes. Oof. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking in the movie's context because there's already been one season of the show and you already know that he became Batman, right? So you're watching a man beg to not become the thing that you know he's about to become. That you know, I mentioned earlier, this is a a film where Batman loses and that that's a special thing in in the Batman mythology, right? That, like I said earlier, everyone is always saying uh, Batman would win in a fight against Superman, and Batman's always ten steps ahead. Um, and that here he is, like, at points of being broken. Never to the point of, like, the killing joke where he's, he's gonna... Oh, wait, I take that back. No. He tries to kill the Joker in this movie. He would rather die in a giant explosion with the Joker by his side than let the Joker live because of what the Joker's taken from him. That is really dark for a kid's movie. That's really dark for a movie, period, where it's a guy wearing tights going out into the (laughs) night and punching guys in the face. And he almost loses to the cops if it wasn't for her coming up. He comes. If she didn't show up, he lost. Yeah. He was arrested if she didn't show up. Yeah, or or maybe killed because they were certainly trying to blindly shooting. Well, and they even said like lethal force. The lethal force. Lethal force is authorized. Yeah. Words. (laughs) Maybe they're the villains. (laughs) You and your villains, man. Hey. My my blathering answer is just um. It took everything that is great about Batman and stories about Batman and, like, jammed it all into one movie um, while also being, like, super enjoyable for children, which seems impossible, but they did it. And so, God, I, yeah, I don't know. My answer is different for every person. As a filmmaker myself and looking at the narrative composition of this film, it's near perfect. Um, if you like Batman, it's a great Batman story. If you want to watch a cartoon, I, I was reading today that it, it tops like eight different lists of like the best cartoon of all time. Not, not at number one, but it's on the list. And that goes a long way considering all of Disney and like Pixar, that this is on any list, it, uh, you know, above number 50. I'm so glad I rewatched it because it is just a solid movie all around um i guess if if i had to pitch this to somebody because i can't match ben's answer so i won't even try uh the reason why i tell somebody to watch this movie is if you've ever enjoyed mark hamill as the joker and you haven't seen this then you haven't seen mark hamill's best performance as the joker um because i could make an argument i think a pretty solid one for the arkham games and uh, mark hamill's really really good in the arkham games but his character's so wonky and it gets so weird with like the growth hormones and he turns that big monster joker at the end of the first game and it just kind of falls apart so even though he's good in it the story isn't there this one has both the story and the performance um and i always thought killing joke was going to be my favorite hamill performance and then killing joke was just a movie destroyed by bad ideas so like even if it is good i can't really even rewatch it yeah. whereas this one is just solid the whole way through and he's amazing in every scene he's in i am i was always aware of this movie Right. I just never seen it. And everyone always, what you guys are saying, always overblowed it, overblown it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, honestly, it's probably one of the reasons why I never watched it. Because no it was way like, match the hype. Yeah, pretty much. 
Um, did it match the hype? I guess not. Because, I mean, there's just too much hype. There's uh, a lot of hype. Uh, but I definitely still really enjoyed it. Yeah. Since I always just stayed away from knowing anything about this. I never read the Wikipedia for this movie. And I do that for a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't spoiled to me that... Who I didn't even know who this Andrea girl was until she was on screen. I didn't know she was part of the movie. And then she turns out she's the vigilante. I'm not going to call her a villain. Uh, the I enjoyed it. You can she's say antagonist. A, she's an antagonist. We can use Venture Brother words. Yes. It's okay. Uh, I greatly enjoyed it. I totally recommend it. I would recommend this movie for people to show to their kids before they show them the live action Batman movies. I would definitely watch. I would have Corn watch this before Dark Knight. I'd have them watch this before the Tim Burton version. Tim Burton version is still very cartoony with Jack Nicholson and everything, but the it being live action makes everything feel a little bit harsher and everyone still there's everyone still kills people in that movie. Batman kills people in that movie. Uh, Batman kills people in both of the Tim Burton movies. Yeah. So with a smile on his face for one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Straps a bomb to a dude um, and it's like, "Ha, you're dead." So I think this is a very good intro for kids who want to get more into Batman, like for Corrin, once he's yep. graduated from watching the really young Batman animated shows and playing with the toys, and we want to show him something more serious. This is a very good stepping stone. I mean, I would I would very boldly declare that as much as I enjoy the Tim Burton Batman movies, this movie understands the character far better. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It, um, not saying the Tim Burton movies are bad. No, I love the Tim yeah, Burton movies. It's have, just different. Yeah, it's just a very different take on the character, which yeah. was not really interested in being like super faithful to the comic or no. to the character. It's more just, let's get people to see a fucking Batman movie. Look, yeah. Bob Kane really wants to make a Batman movie. He wants a red carpet event. Fuck you, Bill Finger. Um, <laughs> they got there. <laughs> it, it got fixed. Yeah. Um, it was still weird whenever I turn on a Batman movie and I just see Bob Kane's uh, name. I've gotten so used to seeing Bob Kane with Bill Finger. Yeah. Um, I'll even throw in a plug. If you've never seen Batman and Bill, the documentary, highly recommend it. It's fascinating how fucked over one man could get. Um, read your contracts, kids. Mm. Uh, or I should say, sign contracts, kids. Uh, but I think that's everything we can say on Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Well, uh, you guys said something interesting a second ago about like letting your kid watch this before the the live action ones and I, I think there's something deeper in that that's kind of interesting is that like i was lucky enough to see this when i was like eight years old where if i was young enough to have seen something like the dark knight or have remembered more about the original batman movie then my base of understanding of what batman is would be very different because, like, the Joker in The Dark Knight is a terrorist, and Batman is different sort of character than he is in the animated series. And so, like, with this as my base of knowledge and the animated series and, like, the toys I had and my understanding of it, everything is then built off of this. And I think it makes me enjoy the different versions of Batman better that I can come home to this every time and go, yeah, that was really great. But the animated series in Mask of the Phantasm really got it right. Where I think seeing this later, like Chewie said, like it didn't live up to the hype. And it, it's because looking back with rose-colored glasses, this movie will always be perfect to me because I saw it at the perfect time. I wish I could have seen this when I was younger. and st- Like, just to have seen a woman in these c- 
situations hold our own. Because, like, I remember seeing the first Tim Burton Batman movie. And it was one of the times when I was watching a film where I was uncomfortable for the woman. As a child, I didn't know why. Now I know I was worried about her getting raped the whole time. I didn't know how to articulate that when I was a child watching it. Because when she's in the the museum and he's pulling her around while they're defacing all the paintings. To the the print song and all that. Yeah. For a lot of people or a lot of young boys, I'm sure that's just a fun little romp. For a young girl, I was just like, I was scared. Because I was like, what is he going to do to her? What is he going to do to her? The whole time. Yeah. Very, very different movies. But I, I, yeah, I, it's interesting because I I saw this one as a kid and I wonder if it's just, and then we will move into plugs. I wonder if it's that I've mentioned on pretty much every show I've been on. I was a very big wuss when I was a kid and this movie, the moments that are dark, I think hit me harder because I was such a fan of the animated series. I didn't expect the animated series to scare me. So that when it did, I bet subconsciously, I'm like, that was great. That was the best Batman movie ever. I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Uh, just kind of filling in my own blanks. I'm guessing that's what happened. I can't say for sure, but it would make yeah. sense. Um, but I think we should move into plugs. Plugs? 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 Plugs. Um, plugs for us here is always the same. ATHpod.com. Check out all of our shows, including Behind the Hype, Samwise, Demon Days, and Damage Boost. And what was I also going to say? Oh, yeah. And also be sure to check out all of the articles that Matt has been writing and everybody else with all of your pandemic picks and whatnot. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Chewie would like you to watch. Superstore. Yeah. Keep that up. They uh, did a uh, pandemic special uh, with everyone in their homes doing something funny. And uh, you can check that on the internet. Uh, otherwise, just watch our show on Hulu and anticipate us returning at some point in 2020. Hopefully. When everyone <laughs> in the film industry hopefully finds out what's going to happen to us at some point here. Is, is film still an industry? Let's, <laughs> let's hope. Um, and then, Ben, what are you plugging these days? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm in the same boat. Uh, the film industry here in Chicago is uh, in cryo sleep. Uh, so. <laughs> When it eventually comes out, if you're looking for a DP or a gaffer, uh, it's Uh I'm also a, I guess, outsider artist. I make weirdo art. Um, and I'm, uh, I've got a, a project that I finished not too long ago called Dime a Dozen that you can see on BenKirsten.com. Um, and then I'm working on a new one that uh, should ben, be done in Ben, can you briefly explain what Dime a Dozen is for our listeners? I certainly can. Uh, I lived in Humboldt Park in Chicago uh, for a number of years, which uh, has a lot of heroin use because there's a lot of heroin sold uh, not too far from there. And um, I started to pick up the drug bags that I would see on the ground. And uh, in the first year, I found 500. So I said, wow, that was great. If I collect 500 more, maybe I can make a big uh, mosaic of it. And the next year, I found... uh, over 8,000. Um, so I made a six foot wide by eight foot tall portrait of Richard Nixon made out of drug bags. I made several flags, American flags made out of drug bags. Uh, I did a season series. I still have, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of drug bags sitting in my apartment. I'm looking at a handful of them right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is something most people can't say that aren't drug users. (laughs) Yes. And I'm not a drug user, uh, but it's, it's a commentary on the U.S. 
uh, war on drugs and how much of a failure it is and how we need to help people who have addiction problems uh, because they're hurting themselves and we have the power to help them. And if I, and if I haven't said it enough before in other shows, I'll say it again. It's incredible work and you should be very proud of yourself because mm-hmm. that's awesome. It is. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and with that, I think it's time to say a very fond farewell. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming back on. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did the follow-up. Yeah, thanks for having me. There were so many notes I didn't get to. <laughs> that I, I would love to say, we'll just start rattling them off. But we don't have that much time. We were ready <laughs> no, for, for no, an no, hour. No. So uh, maybe we'll do another Batman thing at another point. And you can just bring those notes and we'll just keep filling in the blanks that we've missed. I mean, that's fair. Like I said, the movie is 75 minutes, and I could talk about it for hours and hours. So it has to stop at some point, right? Preferably, or people won't listen to our show. I do appreciate that this movie ends with her going, yeah, I want to be alone. Yeah. Deuces, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, right before we go, someone when I was a kid read the end of the film as her on the Titanic and thought that she was about to drown and I what? think that's amazing. It's not. It couldn't be. This is no. supposed to be in like the 40s. But I love that I was talking to someone as a kid and they're like, yeah, and then she's on the Titanic. So she's going to die. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I thought my version of the movie was dark. But yeah, that's pretty so dark. So she's Rose because she's a redhead. <laughs> and Jack's coming up to her and trying to be all suave. And she's like, no. So Romance I'm, over. So instead of saying bye this week, I'm going to say that kid you were talking to is an idiot. <laughs> wow, cold-blooded. He's dead now. Oh, Aww. God. He was, I mean, he, he might be. I don't know. <laughs> he was on the Titanic. Titanic He was on the Titanic, too. Electric Boogaloo. Oh, boy. The dancing scene in there, too? Yes. All right, I'm going to stop recording. <laughs> <laughs>